0: Hi, you're listening to Health in Europe, a public health podcast from WHO Europe. This episode is about childhood obesity and ways to tackle this health threat. Your hosts are Alexandra Olsen and Igor Krychkov. One in three school-age children in the WHO European region are living with overweight or obesity, and countries are working hard to break and reverse this trend. The danger of obesity is that it is linked to many non-communicable diseases, or NCDs, from cardiovascular diseases to diabetes and cancer. The earlier a person gets obesity the higher the risk of these chronic diseases later in life.
1: But how can we stop the so-called obesity and childhood obesity epidemics? Should we all just change our diets and tell our children to do the same? Or are there more effective ways to solve the problem? Julian Williams, WHO technical officer at the WHO European Office for the Prevention and Control of NCDs, and Miriam Heinen, WHO consultant working for the same office, talked to us about the latest statistics and best evidence-based practices that can help.
0: And spoiler alert... Telling people to eat healthier food is not the best way to reduce obesity at a country level.
2: We have data since the 1980s, and what we see is in every country at the population level, so including including adults, is this rise in obesity. There's variation between countries. And in the WHO European region, we have really, really good data on school children, um, ages um, around the age of seven, primary school-age children. And we have really good data at the country level and so there, what we see is that generally in, in the so-called Southern European countries in, around the Mediterranean, we have higher levels of overweight and obesity. And in the Central Asian countries, um, we have much lower levels. Um, and then we also see variation between boys and girls with slightly h- higher levels
3: um, among boys for both, um, for both obesity and overweight. Basically, no country in our region is um, is halting the rise in obesity. But has it slowed down? What are the, the trends showing
2: us? So the voluntary target that we have in WHO for obesity and overweight is to halt the rise, just halt the rise. We're not even saying reduce it. Um, we're just saying stop the growth. And not a single country in WHO, Euro or globally is on track to just have it plateau
1: do have an explanation why this trend is happening why we can't uh, bring the numbers down for now
3: because it's really challenging um there are so many factors related to obesity what are these factors of course physical activity um, healthy eating behaviors but also things such as mental health um, is very important and also the environment we just live in Um, it's not really helping us to live a healthy life and we only realize that now and also there are some genetic components as well it's not like we can fight against it with with regards genetics but there is some genetic components the way you know like we used to live in the hunter-gatherers area um, where survival was really tough and then having these types of genes that would help you to survive is really helpful but in the environment that we're living in right now, it's not. It's working against us.
2: Yeah, I think I think the more we can focus on the environment and the way our environment has changed, the way that it is really, really easy to eat many, many delicious calories very inexpensively, it's really, really easy to go through the day without moving very much. Um, the more we focus on that environmental component, I think the more we get to the heart of the problem.
0: People do need help and support in order to, to tackle the obesity epidemic. It can't just be if we all individually decide to be more healthy,
3: right? It's really challenging because the environment is basically inviting us to break this, to really behave in an unhealthy way. So we do need help with that. So from governments, uh, also civil society can help us, um, you know, raising this issue. Um, So basically everyone um, needs to step up and do something, but not just only the individual indeed, um, because we just need some help there. Yeah. And one thing we
2: see is that when you have an information campaign, which is often a pretty... Um, popular public health option, because it's cheap to give people information, is that there's not an equitable kind of uptake of of, of those of that information. So you'll usually have, for example, if you have a campaign to eat lots of f- fruits and vegetables and to get your physical activity, you'll see people with higher levels of education, people with, in higher socioeconomic groups are really receptive to that. Um, but the people um, that we might be trying to target with lower levels of education or in low Lower groups where obesity levels are higher are, are less able to respond to that sort of intervention um, so the more we can just focus on environmental changes um, things like giving school children healthy meals, subsidizing fruits and vegetables, sugary drinks taxes, um, having parks and places to be active inexpensively, the more we can do that the more we can also tackle these inequalities um, that we see between different groups and the more we can fulfill the WHO mission of of serving the vulnerable and ensuring that we're leaving nobody behind Um, so the more we move away from just information for individuals to change their behavior to systemic changes to the environment the better I think it
3: is for everyone and also to make it easier for everyone in society to make this you know that the healthy choice is the easier choice and especially for these groups from lower socioeconomic status, that is very important. Because um, people from higher economic status, they have most of the times money. They have the resources to really change um, their, ha- their, their habits. But people from lower economic status, they just need some help there. And I think that is indeed really important through schools, um, healthy, you know, nutritious meals, indeed, you know, like cheaper vegetables and fruits. If if a child, you know, doesn't really like fruits and vegetables, you're not going to spend money on that because you know it's going to be thrown out.
1: The COVID-19 pandemic that remains a challenge for health all over the world has made the situation with obesity and overweight even worse. Julian says that the negative effect is seen at multiple levels.
2: Uh, But what what we found with COVID is that there were problems for for the for the problem of obesity and overweight on a few different levels. So one of those is that for example for children if if school if if school attendance was interrupted, they didn't get those health conferring benefits of schools. So the physical education classes, the school meals you might get, the active travel to and from school, that all kind of stopped and many children were put in front of a screen. And doing remote learning. So so physical activity may have deteriorated, dietary quality may have deteriorated deteriorated, especially with um, lower income, lower socioeconomic groups. The other issue that we saw is that those who, who may be living with overweight and obesity no longer had access to care for that for that you know those the, that weight management service, whether it's seen a dietitian or a physiotherapist. Um, so that became interrupted. No more care. Um, and the third kind of issue that came up with the COVID was just that those who did contract COVID who were living with overweight and obesity had much more serious outcomes from COVID. So so they were likelier to be admitted to the um, intensive care unit um, and they were likelier to have um, mortality from, from, from COVID-19. Um, so really, paradoxically, this infectious disease taught us really sobering lessons and that in some ways, if if we had managed to get the levels of overweight and obesity in countries lower earlier on then maybe the, um, the deaths that we saw from COVID-19 might not have been as high.
1: For Miriam, the data we have now on childhood obesity looks worrying. But at the same time, this data can help us find the correct ways to tackle harm inflicted by COVID-19 and overcome a position of the industry that produces and aggressively advertises food high in trans fats and sugars.
3: Um, We're currently collecting data in our own Childhood Obesity Surveillance Initiative. And it's really on behaviors, so have behaviors changed in children, on eating behaviors, physical activity... Um, And also some of this is also connected then um, um, to weight and height, so to BMI. Um, So hopefully we can see what is happening and also compare it to before COVID, the data. But we also um, already saw, for example, from the United Kingdom, from UK, there has already been some Um, BMI measurements done in children and there we saw an increase during COVID. Quite a sharp increase so it was a bit worrying.
0: Which uh, is it all the countries of the region that participate in in this surveillance survey?
3: Um, In um, Childhood Obesity Surveillance Initiative or COSI that's how we call it. We have 45 countries that are now part of this network and we did invite them all to participate in this um, data collection that includes um, data on co- uh, on COVID, but not all countries are able to collect this year. But definitely, 30 countries, I think, and maybe even more.
1: Do we have uh, kind of a, a an understanding what should be done to uh, to get out of this trend?
3: It needs to be comprehensive, at least um, for governments. Um, we, we suggest three policies that they should start with, um, which is uh, restricting marketing in children, the the SSB tax, so the sugar, sweetened beverage tax, if they don't have it in a country, and um, focusing on childhood obesity management, or like obesity management in general. But there are many other policies that really need to be put in place if they really want to tackle this. Do you have any um, any good practices or any success
0: stories from countries where some of these policies have been implemented or some other policies have shown uh, an effect? Some really, really good examples, for example, around marketing
2: um, have been seen. We've seen successful sugary drinks taxes in, what, nearly a dozen countries in the region now. But fierce, fierce pushback from industry on those. And we haven't seen yet a strategy where All of the policies have come together to successfully lead to a halt in the rise in obesity, One thing that that wasn't mentioned earlier that also is really important and often overlooked um, with obesity and overweight is actually breastfeeding. So WHO recommends that babies are exclusively breastfed, receiving nothing but breast milk for the first six months of life, um, and then breastfed for up to two years and beyond alongside appropriate complementary feeding. And we know that this has loads of benefits for the mother's protection against ovarian and breast cancer, but also for children. Um, It protects, against obesity and overweight later in life Um, and I think this is this is an area that often gets overlooked and also the fact that the WHO European region of the six regions it has the lowest levels of of exclusive breastfeeding at six months Um, so that's one area where individuals can make choices but also governments have really important responsibilities for ensuring and protecting that opportunity for a woman to breastfeed her baby whether it's It's maternity leave,
0: um, giving space in the workplace to breastfeed. Julianne also told us about breast milk substitutes and how that industry can interfere with breastfeeding practices if it isn't regulated properly.
2: So the WHO has something called the International Code of Marketing of Breast Milk Substitutes. Um, it's a voluntary sort of set of recommendations that countries can can adopt. But one of those includes some of these messages. Um, to be to w- what the code, as it's shortened to be called, does is it, it tries to ensure that parents and the population gets impartial information, um, free from from commercial interests on the benefits of breastfeeding. So. So, for example, one problem that we see a lot in the WHO European region is that foods are advertised as, as appropriate um, for, from five months of age, from four months of age, um, and that's actually a violation of the code. We think governments have probably the most important role in this in this problem of obesity and overweight, but also what can individuals do? And since we're talking about children, and 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 some of us have families, I think we can also think about just the environments that we're creating. So also, so the school environment is often regulated, but in our home environments, accessible fruits, accessible vegetables, opportunities for physical activity. Um, I think limitations sometimes on the screen time
3: sleep is really important and very importantly parents are very important role models so they have to do the same thing as well ideally to help the children to adopt because if they see the parents do eat fruits and vegetables they're automatically more inclined to do so themselves. So that's really, really important. Um, we see that in many fruits and vegetables uh, pro- projects and programs that are really effective. If they have good role models at home, even, and also teachers at schools, they're really more inclined to do so themselves. And if they develop that habit then at an early age, again, it will track into adulthood and they will keep continuing doing that. So it's it's very important too.
0: To inspire countries and decision-makers of the WHO European region and consolidate much-needed political efforts in fighting childhood obesity, a summit of spouses of the European leaders was organized to take place in Zagreb this May. The participants are creating a high-level network that can change people's lives in the region for the better. The aim of
2: this summit, which is now in May in Croatia, is to raise the profile um, of child obesity um, and really to, to, to advocate for, for some of these political actions that can be taken and, and to just ensure that children in the WHO European region um, are given, given the best possible start in, in life. Um, so, so really trying to use this influential platform in order to, to, to get more attention, I think, for many of the existing ongoing WHO
1: recommendations. WHO published its European Obesity Report in 2022. It showed that 60% of adults and 1 in 3 children in the WHO European region are living with overweight and obesity. The summit that Julian mentioned is a great opportunity to follow up from the report and create a high-level network that can change people's lives for the better and give our children a healthier future.
0: Thanks a lot to Julianne Williams and Miriam Heinen for contributing to this episode. Thank you for listening to the Health in Europe podcast.
1: You can find other episodes of the podcast on your favorite streaming platforms. Stay tuned for more episodes and stay healthy.
0: This episode was developed as part of a podcast series on non-communicable diseases. NCDs are largely preventable and are responsible for 90% of early deaths in the WHO European region. Follow Health in Europe for more.